Today's guest is Anand Sambasivan, the CEO and co-founder of PrimaryBid. I first had the pleasure of meeting Anand in late 2016, when he and PrimaryBid won the Oliver Wyman FinTech Now Award, when they brought a unique proposition that enabled retail investors to participate in primary capital markets issuance. Since then, Anand has taken PrimaryBid from strength to strength, scaling across multiple markets and raising $190 million in the last funding round back in 2022, at a rumoured valuation north of a half a billion dollars. Investors include the LSE Group, SoftBank, Fidelity. Very excited to have Anand join us today. Hey, thanks for joining us today. It's Hissa Patel, Head of Financial Infrastructure Second Services at Oliver Wyman. And I'm delighted to have with me today. Anand Sambisavan from Primary Bit, co-founder and CEO. Thanks for joining us, Anand. Hey, Hitan. Nice to see you again. Now, we first met back in December 2016, Anand. I don't know if you can recall those, those early days when I you do. Uh, popped yeah. up on our seat and you won our FinTech Now competition. Start by talk, talk to us a little bit about what Primary Bit does and, and where have you come to you know, these last seven years since we, since we first met? Yeah, well, I, I remember that that day. I still have photos of it, by the way. It was a it was a great moment to be validated by by Oliver Wyman. Look, as you say, look, I'm I'm Anand. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Primary Bid, and and our company has a pretty simple, singular mission, and that is to deliver fair inclusion to capital markets, to public markets. Now, you might think, hey, aren't the public markets already pretty well democratized? I mean, can't I just go in and by the same share in the stock market as everyone else. And, and you can, um, but favorite way of explaining what we do is, is through an analogy. Um, and it goes like this. So, so imagine the stock market is exactly like your local grocery store. Okay, so it's open from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day. And in that time, anyone from uh, Bill Gates to a college graduate can, can enter that grocery store and buy the same groceries, the same exact thing. Except in this grocery store, there's, there's one key difference, right? There's a specific aisle that's guarded by this massive bouncer, um, you know, which carries the same groceries, the exact same tomatoes from the same farmer, the same expiry date, etc. Only it's being sold at a fraction of the price. And the catch is to enter this aisle, you need to show this bouncer your checking account live. And if there's more than $1 billion in your checking account, you can go into this aisle and 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 buy these buy these groceries for free. Um, now, to make matters worse, these billionaires aren't going in and buying these tomatoes so that they can cook them at home and share it with their family. They're buying it to get out of that aisle and to sell it to you and me one second later at full price. And and that's basically how the public markets works. Those aisles are are called investment banks. The super rich get to shop at them. They get to buy things like IPOs and blocks and bond issuance and guilt issuance and so on. Um, and the only reason individuals like us cannot do the same thing is that the market infrastructure isn't set up to work in parallel with these with these banks to facilitate it. Um, you know, the banks are there to facilitate a wholesale uh, product to institutions, but no one is really looking after uh, the individuals. So. You know, our mantra coming into Primary Bid was quite simple. We said, look, the markets are either public or they're not, and you can't have it both ways. So uh, when you're a publicly listed company and you're doing a follow-on or you're going to go public through an initial public offering, which is meant to, meant to do a very specific thing, um, 
then then uh, let's form a way to include the public alongside uh, the investment banking process, and 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 that's what we do. I love it. I, I love the I love the mantra. I also love the shopkeeping analogy. Having grown my opening twenty years of life living in a in a, in a grocery store, it, it resonates deeply. Um, there you go. It's such a simple and compelling vision statement and cause. What challenges did you have to overcome, kind of to, to to unlock this and to shift that balance throughout the way? Yeah, I mean, you know, so I had people come to me. It's like, oh, what an innovative idea, right? And I said, well, it, it is. It, it may be or it may not be because, you know, as I said, the IPO stands for Initial Public Offering. It doesn't stand for Important People Only, right? So it's it. What we're trying to do is is to sort of bring it back to what what this thing is supposed to do. You know, one of the biggest problems that we have is the fact that the institutional space has just become so sophisticated. You know, when a bank does a does a deal and they're able to sort of get demand from an institution, it's almost always oversubscribed. And the bank is able to build a ton of uh, data and information and transparency around that order book, which they can then pass on to the company and advise them and help them curate this book. And, and the reason that individuals get left behind, there's not, not, nothing Machiavellian going on here. It's just basically the, 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 the line item that comes in, if it ever comes in, that's retail only has that, that one word retail. Unlike the institutional space, you don't know who these individuals are, how they're connected to the stock, what are they going to do afterwards, et cetera, et cetera. And um, as a result, they're just getting left behind and they're not getting allocated. And so the, the biggest challenge we had was, was how to, to, to really deliver fair inclusion. You know, we need to actually bring the, the, the retail part of the equation up and potentially beyond what's happening in the institutional side, deliver a level of data clarity, deliver it at scale with pace back to the investment bank, back to the company so that you know, they're able to allocate this demand. It becomes allocable demand. You know, frankly, if I was going public and all I got was one word retail, I would just be wondering what's behind this when I'd get so much information uh, from the institutional side. And so, you know, our goal at Primary Bid was to sort of say, look, let, let's solve this problem, you know, from the ground up using first principles. Let's build the retail pipes the way they're meant to be built and to give the, to give the bank and the issuer that level of clarity to help them allocate. In fact, increasingly, at primary bid, I'm, I'm starting to stop using the word retail. I think that's kind of part of the problem. There's a lot of stigma associated with that word. You know, I'd rather use the word, you know, shareholders or customers right. or, you know, general public or, you know, who are these individuals? Are they students? Deliver the data in a way that's meaningful um, to provide the sort of best in class allocation. Well, what, is, what are some of those individuals, students, people, what are they telling you? What are they saying? What, what feedback and messages are you, you getting back as you've been along this, this, this journey? But one of our one of our most famous data tags uh, is shareholder because we do so many follow-on deals, right? So, um, and and employees as well um, on a follow-on, which is which is pretty cool. Um, and what we see is that you know when we're able to link back to a company in a bank that this individual is an existing shareholder which means that you know, they understand the company, they bought into the stock before, um, you know, they've held the stock before, they're, they're a certain type of investor, we're getting increasing, increasingly better allocations against it, right? And 
Um, when we did, uh, you know, deals like for for Soho House, Deliveroo, uh, they went, they used us to, to allocate to uh, members or customers. And we were able to give really a lot of data back to the company around what type of customers are, are, are coming in and so on. So um, I think I think enabling these stakeholder tags have been hugely helpful uh, when it comes to allocation. Yeah, I can see that remarkably powerful. It always feels different when you use an identity or something that you understand who's on the other side, right? It feels a lot yeah. more personal. And I, I think it I think both sides of the equation deserve it. You know, I think no one has a God-given right to access a deal, I suppose, right? And um it, it the allocation decision on any deal ultimately belongs to the company. And and you need to you need to equip them with the right information so that they can make thoughtful allocation decisions. Because um, underlying all of it is, when you think of the primary markets, or you know, even even including blocks, you have um, you know something like five trillion dollars of, of issuances globally. But you know, you probably have something like three hundred trillion dollars of demand, right? So you, it, it's such a skewed equation to get allocated. Uh, you need to demonstrate where you are in relation to this company. Talk to me a little bit more about the company, like what. What are the corporates telling you? What are the corporates looking for from their perspective as they kind of enter into this journey? A lot of the narrative today has been about the retail or the individual. How how do the corporates and the companies feel about what they're doing? Well, I mean, if you look at what's happening, you know, all around the world, you know, the most exciting opportunity we see in our industry is the sort of global push towards better inclusion in, in capital markets. And that's being driven by the corporates, right? It's because the corporates have wanted it that's sort of filtered down through governments and regulators. Now here in the UK, as you know, thanks to the Mark Austin reforms, we're going to see mandated inclusion of retail investors into deals. That's amazing, right? And coupled with the removal of so many frictions that that stopped them previously, you know, such as the 8 million euro cap on follow-on or the six-day rule and IPOs, where we're seeing similar changes in the EU as part of in a sweeping capital markets union initiative. Um, the Middle East is a surging capital market environment right now, as you know, and it's systematically including individuals in all of their transactions. And now the US, actually the change is being driven directly by the corporates, the issuers themselves. And we were looking back at over two years of IPO data and something like 50% of the retail allocation went directly to stakeholders of the company, the other went to general public. And, you know, the genie is out of the bottle hitting on this issue globally. You know, financial institutions, governments, regulators, issuers specifically want to see this happen. They really want to include individuals in their deals. Um, and the only thing that can really stop this movement, I think, is a lack of technical infrastructure to enable it. And and that's why for us, Primary Bid, these are really incredible, exciting waters we're swimming in. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I. It feels pretty pretty exciting times, and you, you talk about some of the global markets there. I, I know you guys standing out here in Europe in the UK. I one thing that struck me on a recent trip to Asia was someone was quoting back to me the global IPO listing volumes by geography, and one of the things that struck me was just the scale and size of the markets in places like. China and India and some of the other Southeast Asian markets where there's just a lot more raw development in the corporate economies. Talk to me a little bit how you're thinking about global plans, where you started, where you're going, what are some of the challenges as you try and roll this out across some of the different markets? Yeah. 
Uh, well, challenges, I mean, I think everyone, any sort of startup scale up CEO will tell you they face challenges every day. Uh, but, but I think one of my favorite challenges is, is, is how we think about developing our platforms application to exactly that, to new products, new partners, new geographies. Uh, now, for example, uh, you might be aware here in the UK, we expanded our product capability to run secondary blocks. Um, now, you know, a couple of years ago, we, we ran the first ever FTSE 100 primary issuance to retail investors. That was a two billion um, pound deal for for Compass Group. Um, now that we've now whether we can do blocks, we actually ran the very first ever FTSE 100 block sold to retail investors, and that was uh, BlackRock's uh, sell down of LSEC. Uh, we ran the retail piece with all the major investment banks on the institutional side. You know, seeing that kind of thing will never get old. Um, and, and, you know, we've upgraded our platform even still, right? So to enable the government, for example, to sell a guilt issuance, you know, wow. uh, directly to the, to, the, to, to the UK public through our platform. And we, we hope to one day uh, run the very first guilt issuance um, direct to public. And hopefully it's a green guilt issuance. You know, wouldn't that be magical? Um, but, you know, it, it, and, and we think about the same kind of things um, in the rest of the world, right? So uh, in Europe, um, we're plugged in um, to, you know, three of the biggest stockbrokers in France through an API that we built. So there's Bourse Rama, Bourse Direct, and Easy Bourse. We've got about 100% market share and relevant deals out there where we're actually able to, you know, run straight through processing and you're able to, you know, buy follow-on deals directly from your brokerage account uh, it goes into our centralized order books with all the relevant data tags, and you get allocated right back. Um, you know, again, uh, you know, when we think about other markets like you know the U.S., potentially the Middle East, we 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 are we don't have the hubris to think that hey, we can enter these markets by ourselves and 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 you know become massive and 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 you know and crush the competition and so on. You know. We, if you if you followed our story from the very beginning, we have always been about powerful partnerships. Uh, yeah. We've already built amazing ones uh, globally, and when we sort of land into new geographies, we'll be doing the exact same thing um, because our technology has a, such an incredible degree of application for you know uh, financial institutions globally, and and it's it's um, uh, you know very built to be highly extensible. So, so it can sort of um, solve various different problems for different different financial institutions and in different geographies, and uh, and we're excited to push that forward. Does it get easier? Like, can you not turn up and just point to say, "Wow, look at this tremendous impact and benefit we're having over here"? Do you want that in your market? What am I missing in that simplicity? That once you've cracked this not once in one place, and it's pretty hard to argue with the, the societal benefits of public market participation. Like, does it get easier? What new challenges crop up? What, what am I missing when you can just you know try and try and drive that referenceability to kind of drive your role out? Um, I, I, look, I don't know if easier is the right uh, is the right. Uh, Word. I, I mean, I, I think of my, I was asking a friend of mine the same question about bringing up a kid out of a four-year-old daughter, and and he was like, you know, different, you know, different age, different problems, you know, and um, you know what, what the thing that's exciting is okay, yeah, you know, I, I feel like the changes you 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 sort of make 
are you know directly related to the size of your company, right? So if you're a small company, you know you're trying to do something that can try to do a deal or try and do something that could two x your size, right? And if you're so if, you're, so if you've got it, if your valuation is three million, then you could you know do something amazing and and you could become a six million dollar company. I think the thing that changes, the thing that's that that remains is that two x or you know that multiple, you know. So when you're when you're a bigger company. The things that you talk about and the things that you can do, um, you know, have a you know the the the, the sort of the, the quantity impact it has on it is 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 huge. It's so much bigger, but the impact it has to your company in terms of relative growth is the same. I, I'm hope, I hope that makes sense. And so you know we, we find ourselves having in the middle of these amazing discussions with these amazing partners and. We're able to, we, you know, we, we've earned our seat at the table, right? And, uh, you know, we've built something amazing. It's fit for purpose. It's valued by the market. Um, and we're really proud of it. But then, you know, it's still, we're sitting there at the table with, with these amazing companies and companies that we've admired for so long. I've personally admired for so long. Um, and, and we're having serious discussions on how we can, how we can roll forward together. And, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. You point on size resonates massively, right? Of the privileged position of working with companies that are, you know, only just double digit million revenue in the millions. And then we have the privilege of working with some clients who are, you know, about the billions of dollars in, in, in revenue. And I think your, your point on the relativity of like the opportunity to scale of the R's that is one that, that rings loudly. It's just different challenges when you're bigger. And often like the big guys are looking at the small guys saying, Hey, you're small, you're agile, you're nimble. Your founder and your management know everything about the products and the service. The little guys look at the big guys like, hey, you've got such scale of, of CapEx and distribution. So you're right, different, different scale, different, different stage, you know, problems just evolve. So uh, it feels like that's something that's there to stay. Um, I'm going to pick up on your point. You mentioned being a father. Uh, I'm just going to pivot the conversation a little bit, I guess. Slightly away from primary bid, multi-year as a founder, one mm-hmm. of the things that we wanted to kind of give our listeners a little bit more into an insight into is kind of what it takes to kind of deliver some of the impacts in, in, in the financial services and tech world. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about what do you do outside the professional sphere? What are your interests? How has that helped you in landing and nailing what you've done with primary bid? Yeah, well, if you asked me before I became a dad, I would be saying so many more things. I've, I've got so many interests. Like I, I'm a, I'm a shit golfer, uh, but I do love playing the game. I, you know, I, I used to have a love for my, for my, for my PlayStation. Although I haven't, I haven't really had a chance to <laughs> pick up that piece uh, uh, recently. Um, I love being a dad. I, I just do. It's such a fulfilling experience. It's, you know, it, it has its moments and. Uh, but, but it, I learn a lot from it. I mean, you know, you asked the question, you know, how, what have I, it's so, it, I was thinking about something just recently, you know, my, my, my daughter has suddenly got this fascination for dinosaurs out of, out of, you know, out of nowhere. And she's like asking me about them. And, um, and I started just doing a little bit of research. I talked to her about it. I, so I said, you know, and I, I, I sort of uncovered something pretty cool. Okay. So the modern human being, okay, modern human has, has been around planet earth, walked planet earth for roughly, let's say 50,000 years. Okay. Give or take 50,000 years. So let me ask you that with that, I'll throw it back to you. So with that in mind, okay, 
how long do you think dinosaurs walked on planet Earth? Modern humans are 50,000. I feel like I'm in the middle of like an Oliver Wang case interview. Right? I, ought yeah, to, yeah. I ought to get this in the right order. Throwing it right back I'm, at I'm, you. I'm, Don't I'm Google search it. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to hang myself out there. I imagine it's in the, I think it's in the millions of years, but I reckon I'm still older of magnitude now, I suspect. Yeah, more, it's 165 million years, right? That That's dinosaurs. Okay. So it just got me thinking, you know, like we use the term dinosaur as a, some sort of, a derogatory term or oh, that, 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 you know, that company's a dinosaur. They're dinosaurs. Like, you know what? I'd love to be a dinosaur. <laughs> you know, it's really, you know, standing the test of time. You know, they, 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 they kill humans in terms of how long they've been around. Okay. What we've done in our time is, 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 is pretty mind boggling landing on the moon and so on. But, um, you know, taking it back to the, to the business context, we have so much to learn. From, from major companies. And I always kind of, I think that the trendy thing to say is, oh, the, the young startup is, you know, disrupting and so on. And um, I have a huge, huge degree of respect for uh, for these longstanding institutions, um, how they've sort of done it, continue, you know, that staying power is, is, is mind boggling. And and I think there's so much we can learn uh, from them, and, and I sort of draw these analogies randomly when I when I when I come across them. I like that. I like that. There's something about parenting that really makes you go back and think to first principles, as you say. There, um, I got asked this morning uh, by my daughter, "As um, are you an astrophysicist?" I'm uh-huh. like, no, I'm not. She's like, well, if you were astrophysicists, know a lot. Be very <laughs> clever. It's like, well, what are you? It's like. I used to be a mathematician and now I'm a management consultant. Okay. I, uh, I don't think I had the conviction to uh, argue and tell her that I had the same knowledge base as the astrophysicist. So, uh, I, I advise astrophysicists on various <laughs> the consultant various, answer. Exactly. Various, well, various things, things, you know, that Just talking a little bit like giving back, sharing from your experience. There are a lot of people I know out there in this community that, that listen to this who are either in industry today or an investor or a young grad or young in the company who might have an idea or can see something going on in the industry that could be done more efficient. And what would be your kind of message you'd pass on, like you know, particularly translate idea to impact? Yeah. I spend a lot of time with people who yeah. have great ideas, can understand great ideas. I put myself in that category that can understand the idea. Very few people have translated it to have an actual impact and the kind of impact you've had. Like, what would be the giving back? What would be the message or one of the lessons you'd, you'd pass on to anyone who sat there with an inkling of an idea but wants to figure out how to make impact with it? It's difficult. It's difficult because, you know, everyone's journey, particularly in that early bit, it's it's like, you know, it, it's, 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 it's not, there's no real science there. So like do this, that, and the third thing, and then you're going to be, this, it's such a concoction of, of, uh, so many things, but, you know, the biggest lesson for me, effectively, it's more of a reinforcement of, of an idea is it was to always be authentic and to never give up because delivering change and, and enabling an idea is exceptionally hard, probably one of the hardest things ever. It needs a combination, as I said, of so many things in your control, but most of things not in your control, which by definition means you will fail more often than you succeed. So if you don't have this authentic 
idea behind yourself, this deep conviction, you will get found out. You will not be able to push it forward. And it's that thing that should give you a single-minded determination to make it happen. You know, the data is going to tell you not to do it. People say that you know, be data oriented, and if you if you're always completely data oriented, you'll never start a business because because you will most likely fail, right? I mean, that's just what the data says. So you need something else than than just that to keep going. And for me, it was you know the conviction, the mission, be authentic, um, and then use that as a as that sort of drive to just make it happen. Um, uh, that makes sense. I I like. There's a, there's a lot to take away from there. A lot to take away from there. If you were to throw the spotlight or, or shine the spotlight on something exciting or interesting out of an individual or a company you're seeing in and around the space, is there any any anyone or any anything that you'd call out or what people to be paying attention to to, to right now? Um, apart from you and Oliver White. <laughs> um, you know who I would do um, is. Uh, we're a little off piece. I'm going to go with with a lawyer. Okay. And um, you probably know him. It's Mark Austin. Um, yes. He uh, He's an exceptional guy. I mean, I, I have the privilege of, of, of knowing him and, uh, you know, getting his advice on, on a bunch of things. Um, you know, the first time we came across him was, was during that Compass Group uh, deal I was talking about. It was our first FTSE 100 deal. And we were trying to break through, um, you know, with a with a mission, we say, hey, you know, big companies should use our product because it's fair access. Um, but you know, it was untested at the time, and and we were frustrated because companies were kept kept raising capital and they they didn't they didn't sort of use our our product to deliver that that access to individuals. And then one day we get a call from Mark, and and you know, he says, I want to diligence the heck out of your platform, and he took us through the ringer, and it got pretty exciting because it's like this level of diligence from you know, someone as senior as Mark means that if we are, if if he, if everything checks out, we're, gonna, we're probably about to do a, a massive deal. And and it was, I think, because you know he took that he took that step himself. He said, "I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take some time and figure this out and see if this thing is real." And 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 not many others uh, were, were you know were able to do that at the time or did that at the time. So you know that that was the first time we came across him. You know, since then. Sort of seeing what he's he's been doing in the UK market, his his review is 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 very famous. It has changed so much of the thinking um, around capital markets. It has got a ton of momentum behind it. Um, it's groundbreaking. Um, it's gonna it puts the UK not in line, but but leapfrogs the UK, particularly around secondary markets um, uh, and inclusion in the secondary markets uh, to. To, to almost every other country that I know. Um, and, and, you know, it's a brave, bold move. And, um, you know, uh, lawyers who, who, you know, maybe sometimes, maybe wrongfully have, have reputations of being risk averse and so on. Um, you know, it was, it was amazing to see, you know, such a high profile lawyer uh, take some time um, and sort of and, and, and build this out. So if, if I was to, you know, shine a spotlight on anyone right now, it would be him. Yeah. Yeah. Great story to share. And something that hopefully we can emulate a bit more. Right. I always feel it's like something that in the Americas gets done a bit more, you know, the lawyers get stuck in and involved in, in reshaping things a bit more, but um, 
as you say, I think uh, much needed shot in the arm for the UK market structure. So, um, no, it's a great story to, to share. And look, if I recap, Alan, we've covered a lot of ground, right, from moving the bouncer out of the grocery aisle to uh, recognizing dinosaurs uh, uh, <laughs> aspirational and respecting the incumbent um, to gather some more of the, you know, messages around authenticity and don't give up. I, I, I Thank you for sharing that. I think I've particularly enjoyed just how you're still the same guy from like six years ago, even though you're probably infinitely more famous. Dare I say, you might even walk down the street and get stopped for an autograph from some of the market structure geeks out there. So um, it's been a real pleasure to kind of catch back up with you, see see what's changed, see what's made it stay the same. And uh, look, I really appreciate you making the time and your busy schedule to uh, to share your shared thoughts with us. Uh, listen, thank you for those very kind words, uh, but always have time for you to get the, you know, you- you spotted us early and and you you sort of had conviction with us early and uh, we're deeply grateful for that for that early conviction. No, you're welcome. We should have been investors rather than uh, offering pro bono consulting advice. But hey, we're living and learning. It's never <laughs> In too late. In my next life. <laughs> <laughs> never too late. <laughs> Super. Thank you so much, and I'll take care. Have a great day. See you later. Ciao.